Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of the words we just sang and the words we just read. Those words we're gonna dig into today out of your word. God, I pray that you would help us to see them, to understand them, to love them, live by them. Because as we're going to see, God, they talk about just how gracious you are. God, we are so grateful for the opportunity to gather today and ask that you meet with us. Your spirit would fill us. Help me, God, to communicate these words in a way that honors you and is helpful to us. Help all of us, God, to be encouraged by them and then to obey them. God, we thank you for this time and pray that you would, by your spirit now, help us. Because when we get help, you get glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you got a Bible, we're in Ephesians chapter one. We kicked off this letter to the Ephesians last week, and we just did the first two verses in Ephesians chapter one, just the intro. So we're going to pick right up where we left off. We're going to be in verse three. And what's interesting about this next set of verses, in fact, verses three through 14, in the Greek, it is one sentence. It's one sentence. It's a very long run-on sentence. Uh, And apparently, you know, the Apostle Paul didn't go to our American school system because I think he would have been chastised for making such a long run-on sentence. In fact, we made, you know, we broke this up, and you'll see it in English that we, we made different sentences. We actually put periods and commas and all that kind of stuff there. But in the Greek, it's one long run-on sentence. And I'll never forget when I was in seminary, I had to memorize these verses, which I thought was probably one of the coolest quizzes I'd ever had to do. All right. Uh, it's one of those things in school, like when you take a quiz and you take a test, you're like, am I ever going to have to remember this in the future? Why well, couldn't I couldn't say that on this one because I'm memorizing scripture. Right. I'm, I'm memorizing the Bible. But I'm so glad that I did, because this set of verses, verses three through 14, are amazing. But we're not going to deal with all of them in one week. In fact, we're going to take three weeks to go over this one sentence because it is so dense. It is so glorious. Today, we're just going to do verses three through six, and you'll see why, because we're going to be talking about a very complex issue, a very complex issue. We're talking about, ultimately, the activity of God to save us and how that happened, God's part, our part. And as we have this conversation, and I'll mention this again in just a little bit as we dig into it, I want to recognize the complexity of it. I want to recognize how complex of an issue because we're talking about the word, in fact, you're going to see it this week, the word predestination. And that occurs in this set of scriptures at least twice. But the idea of it occurs even more. In fact, if you were here last week, we already started talking about it because Paul references it in the intro where he says that he was an apostle by the will of God. And so I wanna recognize these are complex issues, but I'm hoping that even though they're complex, then we could see that they're also glorious. And the reason why I'm starting there is because what you're gonna see in verse three 
is before Paul gets into the complex verses, he's gonna start off where we should all start off, which is about worshiping God. So let's go to Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Paul says this, blessed be, that's the title of this week's message, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I don't care what you believe, that's a good verse right there, right? That's a good place, in fact, that's the appropriate place to start because it's almost like when Paul is writing this letter, and again, I don't know what happened, but this is kind of what I think. It's like Paul was writing a letter and worship broke out. It's like Paul was thinking about this and he was like, I can't think about, I can't even talk about God and his glory and what he's done without first worshiping. And that's what is going on here. In fact, the word blessed occurs three times. And what's interesting about this word blessed, it is a word that you know in English that we just brought over from Greek. It is literally the word eulogy. Now, if you've ever been to a funeral, you've heard of a eulogy. Now, what's very interesting about the word eulogy in English, again, we just brought it straight over from Greek. It's made up of two Greek words. One means good, and the other one means word. If you look at the word eulogy, L-O-G-Y, that is the Greek word logos, what we've talked about in the entire gospel of John, how Jesus is the logos, and it means word. Well, the first part of that means good, So the idea of a eulogy is you're going to stand up and say good words. Now, typically when we stand up at a funeral and say good words, right, we're saying good words about someone who's died. Which just a little side note, you wanna live your life in such a way where the pastor doesn't have to get up and lie. Right? Where the pastor doesn't have to get up and manufacture good words. Where you're saying good words and everybody's in the audience is like, that joker lying. Everybody in here knows she wasn't good. He wasn't good. I'll never forget, I was doing a funeral one time. This was back in Texas for a guy that didn't go to our church, but his family member went to our church. And literally, as I'm talking, his drunk friends in the back are making comments. And at the end, when they did the funeral, one of his friends came by and put a six pack in the, the casket with him. I was like, well, that's something. I mean, you know, (laughs) it was an interesting day. And I had a young guy with me that I was teaching how to do funerals. I was like, bro, I ain't got nothing for that one. Like, I mean, I I don't know. I don't know. But you want to live your life, right, in such a way where people can say good words about you. Now, here's what's interesting. Paul starts off this letter saying good words about God. Good words about God. And this first reference here to blessed is an adjective. So it's, that's what, it's a description, right? So when he says blessed be, he's saying good words. Now, the second time this word blessed occurs, it's a verb. He's saying we're blessing, we're saying good words about God. Why? Because he has blessed us. So we're saying good words about him. Why? Because he said good words about us. Now, here's what's interesting. Without Christ, God didn't have any good words to say about us. God didn't have any good words to say about us without Christ. That's why he says he blessed us in Christ. 
Now, God's got plenty of good words to say about Jesus. But if we're all honest in here, he ain't got no good words to say about us. And this is where we really have to understand. And I get it. It's tough. Because when we're talking about good words, and, and, and one of the things that people wrestle with a lot, and I understand it, is when people say, man, I'm just struggling that bad things happen to a, what kind of person? Good person. Well, I want you to understand something. The only bad thing that ever happened to a good person was Jesus. He was the only good person. Everyone else, it's relative, y'all. Not your relative, right? But you know what I'm saying? Because what do you mean by good? Good compared to who? And isn't it funny we always pick the worst example? Well, of course, you're gonna pick, you're gonna judge yourself against somebody you know. Oh, on the surface, I am way better. But the crazy thing is, is when you're standing before a holy God, like who wants us to compare ourselves to Jesus? Anyone, anybody want to take that comparison? Adolf Hitler, sure. Jesus, uh, no. But that's what is so amazing is because even though there was nothing good to say about us, there was nothing good in us, God has still blessed us in Christ. And here's what's crazy. The third use of this word is a noun. So you got an adjective, you got a verb, you got a noun. He says, what has he blessed us with? With every spiritual blessing. With every spiritual blessing. And I love that he didn't just say with spiritual blessings. I mean, that would have been good enough. But he said with every. That means all every kind of. Here's what's amazing. Every good thing that heaven has to offer is now yours in Christ. Don't you think that when you see what he's blessed you with, it should result in blessings out of your mouth? Let me say it to you like this. Here's my first point if you want to follow along. Every good gift that comes from God demands a corresponding good word back to God. Let me say that again. Every good gift that comes from God demands a corresponding word back to God. See, this is why I love that Paul starts here. Again, before we get into the complexities of how the good gift came to us, Paul wants us to worship about the fact that it did come to us. And this is where we should all be able to agree. Again, there's all kinds of different viewpoints on salvation and how it occurs and who it occurs and how it comes to us. But before we get into that complexity, we should start with, but let me say it like, before we should get into the circumstances, we should start with worship. Let me say it like this, regardless of what is going on in your life, regardless if you feel like saying a good word to God, the good gift that God has given you demands a good word back to God. That's what's called worship. Worship is saying back to God good words for the good gifts that came from God. 
And here's where a lot of us wrestle is our worship is more based circumstantially than it is on Christ. Let me say it to you like this. You may have gone through some rough circumstances this week and it has led you to be less willing to gather together and say good words back to God. Because if you're honest, you don't feel like saying much good back to God because you don't feel like he's done much good. It's like Janet Jackson. What have you done for me lately? Right? But here's what Paul's saying. It's not just about what he's done for you lately. It's about what he's done for you ultimately in Christ. Because you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, every blessing possible by the Spirit is yours now in Christ. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I almost put it up here, but I'll just reference it, where it says all the promises of God are a yes in Christ. So every promise that God has ever made is now yours in Christ. I don't know about you. That's what leads you to say some good stuff. That's where Paul's getting at. Let me, let me say this to you another way. Next point I have here on the screen. Worship is showing God is worth it. Let me say it again. Worship is showing that God is worth it. Let me say it another way. In other words, worship is worth-ship. Here's what's really interesting about our English word, worship. It is literally, I'm not making this up. So y'all think I just make up words. Sometimes I do. But sometimes I just go back into history and look at them. But our English word, worship, comes from an old English word, worth-ship. Worth-ship. I guess we just got tired of adding more letters in it, so we cut it out. I mean, as Americans, we're super efficient, right? Like, I don't need those other two letters. I don't need T and H. So we just say worship. But do you understand what worship is? Worship is saying you're worth it. Your worth, your value, who you are demands. You are good and you have done good. Therefore, it demands that I say good, that I say good words, that I'm, I'm describing your worth. And here's what, here's what I want you to see. Really, you don't really know if you're worshiping the worth of God unless you can do it and he hasn't done anything good for you lately. Because are you worshiping him just for what he's done or for who he is? See, we had one of those moments this week in our staff. We have a monthly all-staff meeting where everybody comes together. And I've talked about this before, but Frank, who is our Jasper campus director, had been diagnosed with cancer years ago and treated and beat it, and now it's back again. And Unfortunately, he's going to be leaving our staff and even leaving, moving to go pursue more treatment. And we were all together this week as a staff, 
And we were talking about that. Frank and his wife, Barb, were here. and We were telling our staff, here's what's going on. And they're gonna be moving back to Baltimore. And, and man, we shed a lot of tears. We cried a lot because it's relational. But you wanna know what we did after that? We worshiped. We worshiped. Because even though someone we love is struggling with cancer, we wouldn't even know to love him if Christ hadn't done something good for him. So we could worship in light of our circumstances because God had showed himself faithful in Frank's life. And so here's what I'm saying to you. No matter what is going on circumstantially, God is worth your worship. And that's why Paul starts here, blessed be. We used to sing an old song. By old, I don't mean him. It's kind of funny. It was a contemporary song, but now it's old. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I wasn't too bad. I gotta be honest. I'm just kidding. I ain't gonna do it again, all right? But that was a good song. And it comes out of the Psalms and it comes out of here. Because here's what I'm saying. If you can't say blessed be, then your worship is failing to show that God is worth it. And that's why Paul starts here. Before we get into the complexities, we need to start with Christ. Regardless of what we think about how we're saved, we can worship the one who saves. Let me give you a corresponding verse. I'm gonna read it in the ESV and then I'm gonna read it out of the NIV, which is how I initially memorized it. Romans 12:1 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here's what's interesting about that word spiritual. It's a different Greek word than the one in Ephesians 1.3. And even though I love the ESV translation, it's one of the more accurate English translations we have. It's a word-for-word -word translation. It's why we preach out of every week. It's, it's great. And I'm not saying this is a mistranslation because it's not, but the word there for spiritual is literally the Greek word logical. So it would have been better said to say, this is your logical worship. Let me read it in the NIV and help you understand it and see it from this perspective. Look at this again, verse one of Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view, means if that's what you're looking at, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Here's what Paul is saying in Romans 12, one, that he's extolling in Ephesians one. He's saying, listen, it's only proper, it's only logical when you see God's mercy, the only logical response is to offer your whole body, your whole self. That's the only logical response. I mean, literally, that's the, English, that's the Greek word there. It's where we get our English word logical. So here's what that means. Any other response is illogical. Speaking of songs, we used to sing a song back in the day called With Everything. And I've mentioned this many times in sermons, but it never gets old to me. But it's an amazing song and it, and it kind of builds and then it builds and builds and builds and gets to this point where you're like, with everything, with everything, right? Oh, I mean, like, you just like, I mean, 
We used to go after it back in the conference center, man. It's like, whoa, you know. But how dumb would that song be if it was like, with some things, with most things, I will worship. You think God's up there like, well, you're going to give me some things? Bro, get out. I mean, I say this all the time. I have never read a marriage vow, and if I did, I wouldn't marry them, that said, I will come home most of the time. You can have 51% of me. That's majority. Who here would take that relationship? None of you. But here's what's crazy. A lot of you do. Here's what Paul's saying in Romans and Ephesians. The only logical worship response is one that says, everything I am is a result of everything you are. So why would I not offer up my whole self to you? Why would I not in my worship? See, here's what's crazy. When we think worship, we just think singing. Now, I'm not saying worship, that singing is not a part of worship. Of course it is. But what I'm saying is this. Worship is not just saying things with your mouth. It's saying things with your life. That's what Paul's saying in Romans 12. That's the only thing that's logical. Your actions and your mouth line up. I mean, we have this all the time. Like, talk is cheap, right? It's actions. Yes, it is. And that's why Paul starts with worship. Because no matter what is going on in your life, in my life, God is worth it. And that's why Paul says, blessed be who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing. Now, let's get into how he's blessed us. And again, this is the complex part. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined, there's the word, us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, let's chat about this. This is what I was referencing earlier. This is a complex issue. It's like trying to explain the Constitution to a two-year-old. But the Constitution, although it's a great document, is man's words. This is God's words. So let's start off with this understanding no matter how much we think we understand, God is above our understanding. No matter how much we think we understand, God is above our understanding. And here's why that's good. You don't wanna worship a God you can fully understand. Because if you can fully understand him, then you can be him. But you can't be him. You're not self-sufficient. You might be smart, but you're going to die. You need people and things outside of yourself to sustain yourself. God doesn't. So let's start with that presupposition that we are talking about things of God here. 
And just because something isn't a, listen to me, is an apparent contradiction in the human mind, it is not in the mind of God. As Isaiah says, his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher. So let's start there. Second thing I want to say in dealing with this complex issue, now I'll break it down in just a second. But this is one of those kind of like great continental divide issues where people split and, and one way or the other, right? And I have an opinion, and I'll say to you my opinion in just a second, but I want you to hear me say this first. We can differ in the order of how things happen. We can agree to disagree on the order. And what I mean by that is this, the chicken or the egg. Which came first, right? The answer to that is Jesus. <laughs> Jesus came first. He figured out the rest, all right? But here's, here's what's at issue. This is as simple as I can make it for you. Because I don't think it needs to be controversial, even though it's complex. Does that make sense? Here is the debate. Who chose first? Us? Or God? Who chose first? Did God choose first? That's what historically has been called the Reformed position or Calvinist position, which I don't like that word. I just refer to it as biblical. And we'll get into that. But I don't, people are like, are you this or are you that? Well, those were men who had systems. I, I don't like to be pegged to a system because I just want to read. Here's what a plain reading of the text says. So historically, God choosing first is the Reformed or Calvinistic position. The other side historically is man choosing first, and God's grace is involved in that. But again, it's, it's God's response to our choice or our response to God's choice. Does that make sense? Which came first? Another way to say this, and we'll get into this in Ephesians 2, did grace precede faith? which means God had grace on you. He opened your eyes. He regenerated you. Then you responded in faith and were saved. Or did you respond in faith? Then he regenerated you and you were saved. We can disagree about the order, but here's what I want you to hear me say. As long as we agree that grace and faith are necessary, that the Bible says he chose and we chose. Okay? That's as simple as I can make it. Now, here's where my position is, and the, obviously, because I am the lead teacher here, the position of our church. The plainest reading of this text suggests that God chose first. Why is that? Well, and I'm not trying to insult intelligence, but because Paul said he chose before the foundation of the world. He chose before. Before what? Before the foundation of the world, which means he chose before you were here. He chose. He made a choice. And that happened before anybody else made a choice. It's not the only place in Scripture 
where the Bible talks about, like, talks like this. But here's what I want us to see. I think we unnecessarily, well, I shouldn't say unnecessarily. I think we focus on who chose first or we focus on how this happened to the detriment of why it happened. In fact, let me give you this point and then I'll unpack what I mean. Here's what I think Paul is telling us. Focus on the goal of his choosing, not just the grounds of his choosing. Focus on the goal of his choosing, not just the ground. Because look at what Paul does. He's talking about God deserves worship. Then he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of a world, that, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us, same ideas chose beforehand, for adoption to himself as sons. So when I say focus on the goal of his choosing more than the grounds of his choosing, here's what I'm saying. Focus on why he did it, not just how he did it. Why did he do it? See, this is what Paul wants us to know. This is what is leading Paul to worship. And this is where I think we should start. Why did he do it? Two things. That we should be holy and for adoption. Let me say it to you like this. He did it to make us holy so he could make us his. Make us holy so he could make us his. Here's what you need to understand. We couldn't become his until we were made holy because he is a holy God. And no one can stand in the presence of a holy God if they themselves are not holy because his holiness will obliterate it. Here's what I mean. Darkness can't exist with light. Here's what happens every time you turn the light on in a dark room, what happens? Is there an epic battle between light and dark? No. When there's light, guess what? Darkness is gone. It's like, I just thought of this. It's like when you walk into the room, you should just quote Genesis 1 every time. Let there be light. Right? Darkness, you gotta flee, baby. You ain't got a choice. You gotta take that, devil. So you can worship even turning your light on. Come on, somebody. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Get that worship team back out here. Where are they? You see what I'm saying? Because see, light and dark can't coexist. So here's the thing. We were dark. God is light. So in order to bring those two together, he had to make us something before he could make us his. And the something he had to make us was holy. Well, how does that happen? It happens because Christ gives us his holiness. Christ gives us his light and takes our sin and takes our dark. See, something had to happen in order for us to be his. And that's what Paul is worshiping about. And we talked about this last week. Paul was the worst. He calls himself the least of all apostles. The chief of sinners, he says elsewhere. 
Don't you think that Paul had plenty of reason to worship when he knew that he was God's because he had been made holy by Christ because he knew who he was before Jesus did this? This is what I'm saying. You and I should never get over what he did for us. That's grace. And, 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 and this is why personally, my position it is one of the reformed position, but I want you to understand this. This is also the majority position in church history. Throughout church history, the major theologians of church history land on this position. The minority view, even though it's become majority in the last couple hundred years in modern church, but the minority view is I'm justified because I chose him. Here's where I think, and I'm gonna show you this, here's where I think that falls flat on its face. It falls flat on its face is because you and I wrongly make the assumption that we could actually do something good. We can't. We say, well, I don't have to do anything good. I just have to ask him to help me do something good. You're still making the assumption you actually want him to help you. Let me say it like this. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 1.6. He says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the, blood, in the beloved. That's talking about Jesus. Saying to the praise of his glorious grace. What I think Paul is doing here, and again, the majority of theologians would agree is Paul, in writing this letter, is talking about what God did. And if you were here for stewardship, I told you the first three chapters of Ephesians are about the indicatives, what God did. The last three chapters about the imperative, what we are to do in light of what God did. Here's, he's explaining what God did and what did God do. In grace, he chose us. And here's what we have to understand. He didn't choose us because we had anything good to offer him. This is where I think a lot of Christians misunderstand how their salvation came about. And what I mean by that is this. There's a lot of Christians who wrongly think that God drafted them to his team because they were good. Like, God's so lucky to have me on his team. And, and here's how it shows up. Here's, it shows up subtly, y'all. It shows up in judgment towards others. Because here's what we think. You know, if more, now you would never say this, and if you would, I would actually respect you more, but, because it would show your arrogance. <laughs> but here's what we think, you know, if they were just more like me, the world would be a better place. I would ask you to raise your hand on who said that, but the whole room 
would go up. You know, if they would just vote like me. Ooh, I'm stepping on some toes now. If they, who's they? You know, them. And here's what happens. We start wrongly thinking that we are where we are by works. When Paul said in verse five, it was according to the will of God. Let me say it to you like this. It's not a point, but it should have been. I thought about it later. It's according to his will, not our works. It's according to his will, not our works. And this is where we start saying, whoa, 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 whoa. But if God had grace on me and he had judgment on them, that's not fair. I would be very careful, you, an unholy sinner, calling God not fair. Because I told you this last week, and I'm gonna say it many times throughout this series, God owes no one grace. He owes everyone justice. And so if God chooses justice for some, listen, he's not choosing justice to say you had no choice but to sin. What he's saying is you chose this, and this is the consequence. See, here's where we have to understand. Free will does not mean, or free will and, and, and uh, predeterminism or sovereignty does not mean we don't choose. Oh, we choose all the time. We freely choose, but here's the thing. We will always freely choose sin. And therefore we get justice for that. There is no injustice in God. And again, when we start saying, but God owes grace to everybody. No, he doesn't. We're not talking about grace anymore. Well, if God gave them justice, and he gave me grace, then why did he give me grace? Because he did. And here's what that does. Here's my last point. Grace silences pride and awakens praise. Grace silences pride and awakens praise. See, if you are in Christ, it's because God was gracious to you. Now, listen, when he was, we'll get into this next, into Ephesians chapter two, not next week. That'll be like a couple months from now. All right. When he was gracious to you, that grace now made you alive and in faith, you chose him. But here's the thing. He enabled you with the ability that you didn't have. You would have never chosen him unless he was gracious to you. And this is where, again, when the rubber meets the road, we have to really, really think. Man, if I was honest, yeah, I wouldn't have. But why did I? Because he graciously enabled me to. So you want to know why I land in the position I land in. Of these two positions, one 
highlights man's choice, highlights man's work. The other highlights God's. And, and I'm, I want you to hear me. If I'm choosing one of those to highlight, I'm gonna highlight God. I'm gonna highlight giving glory and honor and praise to God. Blessed be God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Do I know how all that works? No, but I don't have to, to worship him. And this is why I want you to see this. And, and, and instead of quabbling about the complexities of it, let's just say, hey, can we worship God that he had grace on us? That's the point. And that's why I want us to talk about these complex things. And again, we can have follow-up conversations about that. That's fine. Because you're like, well, if this is true, then this and this and this and this must be true. I don't know. I mean, I got opinions about it. But I hold those loosely. Because here's what I do know. I would have never chosen him without him being gracious to me. And his grace obliterates my pride. And it awakens praise in me. Here's what I want you to see. The two words that should never go together is arrogant and Christian. Never. It's like jumbo shrimp. Right? You know, this is like, why do we park in a driveway and drive on a parkway? I don't know. Because we're weird with words. But listen, if you are Christian, if you claim Christian, if you claim a disciple of Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, and there is a shred of arrogance in you, you don't understand grace. There can be no arrogance. How can you look down your nose at anyone when the reason God chose you was simply because he chose to? There was nothing in you that deserved this. In fact, everything that was in you meant you didn't deserve it. Are you with me? See, grace should awaken praise. When we gather together every week, and even if we're gone and online or we're in our car stuck in Atlanta traffic, God bless them. We have reason to worship because God is worth it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for being gracious to us. And God, I know we're talking about complex issues, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to teach through Ephesians, because we need to talk about these things. But God, even though we don't fully understand and we can debate about how this happens, if grace precedes faith or faith precedes grace, God, if, 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 if long as those two things are there, then we're good. But one thing we should not argue about is that it happened and why it happened. You made us holy in Christ so that you could make us yours. 
You wanted your children back. And so you sent Christ forth. And so God, I pray that that would lead us to worship. But God, I know there are people here today listening, watching that have never had that moment where the light went on. And they responded in faith to the grace that you were drawing them into. I pray right now, God, you'd save them. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If there's never come a point in time in your life where the grace of God has opened your eyes to see the truth about who Jesus is and what Jesus did and you responded in faith, then that can happen today. God is drawing you in the spirit. He's opening your eyes. That is his grace. And now you can respond in faith and be saved. So you can pray with me. It doesn't have to go. You don't have to say it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. That you sent Jesus in my place for my sin. Thank you for being gracious with me. Now I ask you to make me holy in Christ so that I can be your child. I'm trusting in Jesus to save me, forgive me. Thank you for loving me. Again, if you're here in one of our physical locations, Jasper and Canton, and you just pray to trust Jesus, would you simply just lift your hand up? We got men and women gonna walk around, put a Bible in your hand with some next steps we would love to follow up with you, thank you. But all of us, again, regardless of where you fall on this particular theological issue, I pray that we'd be gracious with one another and recognize that if we're saved, it's because God has been gracious to us. And therefore, we worship him. God, I pray that you would help us to worship you. There's so many of us going through so many tough difficulties, just like I talked about with Frank on our, on our team. Frank and Barb, God, have been through it. So many people here have been through it. They've lost loved ones. They've lost children. They've lost parents. They've lost jobs. But God, I pray that you would remind them that if they have you, ultimately they haven't lost anything. Because one day, you will come and complete Romans 8, 28. You will make everything good. Because you are gracious. And therefore, we can worship you. And I pray that's what we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church.